Engaging conversation on the most urgent problem of our day and what you can do about it. Now, the End Abortion Podcast by Priests for Life. Hello, and welcome to Pro-Life Primetime News. Today is Friday, June 30th. I'm Leslie Palma. And I'm Teresa Watson. We're so happy you've joined us tonight. Every Republican running for their party's nomination for president spoke at the Faith and Freedom Coalition's Road to Majority Conference in D.C. last week, and all of them gave their views on abortion. We'll tell you what those are. We'll introduce you to a father and son team who will dispel the notion that abortion is only a women's issue. A Michigan pro-lifer was hit by a car driven by an 88-year-old abortionist last week. Mark Zimmerman will join us to talk about his run-in with Theodore Rummel in Saginaw. Teresa will tell you about a new poll that's the first to show Donald Trump ahead of Joe Biden in the 2024 presidential contest. Priest for Life National Director Frank Pavone will have a message for Independence Day. And if you have a devotion to Our Lady of Guadalupe, or if you just like to travel, stay until the end to find out about a pilgrimage to Mexico. The Faith and Freedom Coalition on Saturday concluded its 14th annual Road to Majority Policy Conference in the nation's capital, featuring an extensive lineup of speakers and panelists, including 12 2024 Republican presidential candidates. Former President Donald J. Trump, former Vice President Mike Pence, Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida, South Carolina Senator Tim Scott, former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie, former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley, businessman Vivek Ramaswamy, former Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson, conservative talk show host Larry Elder, Miami Mayor Francis Suarez, businessman Perry Johnson, and former CIA agent Will Hurd. It's going to be a test later, see if you got them. Centered around the themes of life, family, and freedom, Road to Majority 2023 featured more than 70 speakers, including Priest for Life National Director Frank Pavone, and highlighted key victories in the past year, including the landmark ruling that overturned Roe v. Wade. The conference galvanized over 2,000 attendees from all over the country to continue advancing a pro-family, pro-freedom America with an eye on the 2024 elections. We know that when two or more are gathered in his name, God is with us. It is a great day for us to all be together, Nikki Haley shared. This is a time for clarity. This is a time to stand for truth. This is a time to proudly put on the full armor of God, Governor Ron DeSantis emphasized. Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson reminded the audience, we are here, we are ready, we are willing to fight because what God has blessed us with will not go easily into the night. While the speakers acknowledged the challenges America faces, they also offered inspiring messages of hope. I believe it is true that our best days as a country can still be ahead of us. We don't have to be a nation in decline, Vivek Ramaswamy said. Senator Scott shared, the radical left has lost so much faith in America that they've lost faith in life itself, but we are here to tell them that life is good and we are proud to be Americans. I believe in the boundless potential of every American to live their dreams, encouraged Vice President Mike Pence. President Donald Trump said, it's time for us to keep our faith, our unity, and our resolve. We must be strong like never before. We must be unstoppable. Most of the candidates made their stance on abortion known. Governor Hutchinson, who has shown willingness to buck his party on many issues, such as vetoing a sin-stricken state law that would restrict gender-affirming care for trans youth, nonetheless voiced his support for federal restrictions on abortion. Yes, as president, I would fight to make sure taxpayer funds 
are not used to support abortion, Hutchinson told the ballroom. And if Congress acts, I will sign a federal law to restrict abortion as well as President of the United States. Senator Scott said, thank God for the Dobbs decision. We are creating a culture of life in America, and that's a really good thing. He called out Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen for saying during a Senate Banking Committee hearing last year that banning abortions deprives low-income women of completing their education and joining the workforce, and that those impacted are commonly young black women. My mother, a single parent mired in poverty, made the decision for life, said Scott, who is black, and I thank God all the time that she chose to bring me in the world. Governor Christie touted his vetoes of Planned Parenthood funding over his eight years leading New Jersey, noting the Democrats-led legislature never overturned them. Every life I was taught is a precious gift from God, he said. And Mayor Francis Suarez said he's literally a produ product of the pro-life movement because his parents met at an anti-abortion rally. I want to also express my profound gratitude for God for the celebration of the anniversary of what historians will call the greatest day for defending life in our history, the overturning of Roe v. Wade. How many great people will be born in the future that can shape our world and can cure diseases who may never have been given a chance? American entrepreneur and presidential candidate Vivek Ramaswamy said, My core values are the same values that this country was founded on. God is real. Unborn life is life. I speak the truth. I do it without apology. Here's what VP Mike Pence had to say. And maybe most important of all, on this momentous weekend, I promise you, you give me the privilege to serve as your president. We will stand every day without apology for the unalienable right to life. Men and women of faith and freedom, we stand on the eve of a historic anniversary in the life of our nation. I have to think this very conference itself might just be God's timing. I was talking to my friend Ralph Reed and I said, you picked good timing for the Road to the Majority Conference, and he said, we booked this two years ago. I stand before you today with a grateful heart. After nearly 50 years of lost lives and broken hearts, 50 years of praying and fasting and marching and hoping, one year ago tomorrow, we will mark the first anniversary of the day that a conservative majority on the Supreme Court of the United States sent Roe versus Wade to the ash heap of history where it belongs. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis closed out the first day's candidate speeches, received headliner treatment during the two-day event, with his remarks preceded by a hype video and an introductory speaker to preface his roughly 40-minute talk. Here is what he said regarding his strong convictions about abortion. We have also delivered in Florida on promoting a culture of life. And that means signing the heartbeat bill into law that protects unborn children when there's a detectable heartbeat. It was the right thing to do. Don't let anyone tell you it wasn't. But we understand that, that being pro-life starts there, but it doesn't end there. In the state of Florida, we've enacted family-friendly policies. We now have the elimination of all sales tax on all baby items. Diapers, wipes, cribs, strollers, clothes, you name it, that's in the bag. 
Now, my wife and I have a six, five, and a three-year-old. When I signed this in the law recently, I had a big smile on my face. I came home, and she deadpanned to me because our kids are out of diapers now. And she said, why didn't you do this four years ago? <laughs> well, you know, we did a lot over these four years, but we're really proud of that, and we're proud of all the support that we've offered for foster care, for adoptions, and for single moms. It's important that we walk the walk and just not talk the talk when it comes to right to life. Frontrunner President Trump, who called out both Dr. Alveda King and Frank Pavone in his welcome, both were in attendance, mentioned his three nominees to the U.S. Supreme Court and their role in overturning Roe. Here's what he had to say. Exactly one year ago today, those justices were the pivotal votes in the Supreme Court's landmark decision ending the constitutional atrocity known as Roe v. Wade. Conservatives had been trying for 50 years, exactly 50 years. Amazing that today is the day. I don't know. Did you set this up on purpose? Was that done purposely? This is the day, one year. I mean, it's, today is the birthday of that decision. Did you do that? I mean, it wasn't just by a fluke, right? I assume you're dead. Whether you did or not, this is the uh, birthday, so it was pretty good. And Ralph's birthday, too. That was set up, too. Something, <laughs> something strange is going on here. You know what they'll say? It's Trump's fault. Trump's fault. <laughs> but I got it done, and nobody thought it was even a possibility. They've been fighting. Good people, strong people, smart people have been fighting for 50 years, and it never even came close to getting done. I don't believe they've ever even taken a vote. I mean, never even came close. It was something that wasn't going to happen. I got it done. I get a kick out of these candidates and the, even the other side. Well, I don't know. I think I'm more pro-life on this. And somebody stood up, a woman stood up and said, this guy ended Roe v. Wade. How the hell can you go against him? And I sort of said that myself, actually. But I'm proud to be the most pro-life president in American history. Thank you. Thank you. From my first day in office, I took historic action to protect the unborn. Very historic. Nobody else did anything near what we did. And it put us in such a great position, that victory. That victory, we'll go into it, but that victory is a tremendous uh, victory in so many different ways because they are the radical people. When they're willing to kill a child after birth, they're willing. You know, take it beyond the nine months. They are the radical people. They are the people that are really uh, in trouble with the Lord. I reinstated and expanded the Mexico City policy. You know what that is. That was a big deal. Nobody else did it. Stop taxpayer funding for abortion providers. And at the United Nations, I made clear that global bureaucrats have no business attacking the sovereignty of nations that protect innocent life. And I did these things. And 
I took heat, and I also got great love. I mean, you know, you have two sides to it, but I got great love. And I was the first sitting president ever to attend the March for Life rally right here in Washington, D.C. Faith and Freedom Coalition founder and chairman Ralph Reed concluded Saturday evening's gala by sharing, thank you, God bless you, and we'll see you one year from now on Road to Majority 2024. We have with us tonight a father and son team who lead an amazing organization called Free Ultrasounds. Frank and Max McGuire are here to talk about abortion as a men's issue. Welcome to the show, guys. Hey, thanks for having us on. <laughs> thanks for having us, Leslie and Teresa. Hi. So it's, it's so nice connecting with you again. But before we get to into our topic tonight, Frank, would you please tell us about Free Ultrasounds? Yeah, sure. Free, FreeUltrasounds.com is a client-facing site that we use in a marketing strategy. Uh, similar to what we used, uh, we entered the pro-life industry through the car dealership industry. Uh, we would find for large car dealerships in the, in the country uh, clients who are looking to terminate their leases early. And now we do that for pregnancy centers. We find women who are looking to terminate their pregnancies early and we get life affirming messaging in front of them. Um, through doing this for many years in the pro-life space, some of the busiest pregnancy centers in the country are using this service. And the data has revealed some, uh, some uh, shocking insights into who the clients actually really are. Yeah. Well, Max, we're always told that abortion is a woman's issue and men have no say in a woman's decision regarding her pregnancy. However, just as, as uh, your dad was saying, um, abortion is a men's issue. And would you please share some of these statistics that he was just discussing? Yeah, sure. The The abortion movement always likes to, as you say, as you say, claim that it's a woman's issue um, to silence pro-life men when in reality, Pro-abortion men have no problem talking about this and have no problem using abortion as a service for them. So through our research, working with clients, we do a lot with analytics and we're able to tell what kind of visitors are on the site. We can't tell everything about them. But we can usually tell some demographic information about them. And what we've seen looking at analytics for both abortion facilities that Google provides and our own pregnancy center clients is that an uncomfortable percentage of men are actually the people visiting these sites looking for abortions. Um, depending on the city, you can see 50, 55, upwards of 60% of site visitors going to places like Planned Parenthood or even pro-life pregnancy centers are men. And we know that these are not the, the pregnant woman's father, right? They, they, they may be the boyfriend. They might be the husband. Um, we know that they're not like the father over them. Um, and, the other uncomfortable data that we've seen is their ages tend to skew higher than what you would expect to see from someone being in a relationship with a woman seeking an abortion. We're talking about men who are 30, 40, 50 plus years old, not what you tend to expect to see from from the baby's dad influencing the, the decision making. Um, these are and they're not parents, right? Because we know from the data that we've seen from studies that women, when they choose to get an abortion, tend to not tell any male relatives. So the real question is, who are these men? And it, it gets really uncomfortable the more you dig into it. Yeah. So Frank, could you dig into it a little bit and tell us the, the, the horrific reality that this might be indicating? Yeah. Uh, well, the horrific reality would be that um, these abortion facilities are set up as abortion as a service for the trafficking industry and the sex industry, so to speak. Um, the males that are on the, on these sites, it is uncomfortable. You can look at um, you look at other sites like Ulta or 
or Lululemon, and the demographics are just what they're supposed to be, right? 20-year-old, 20-year-old to 30-year-old females. But when you go on to these abortion facility sites, it's 35 to 55-year-old men. Same thing happens when we turn up pregnancy centers and we start to target this group of people. We find that the demographics on their site start to change as well to where there's males. But the shocking thing about it is that if you have one of these facilities in your neighborhood, um, when they're bringing uh, when they're bringing these women uh, in there for their abortions, uh, and if they are in the trafficking industry, what do you think that they're possibly doing while they're in there for their three hour appointment? They're cruising the neighborhood looking for new victims. So as the abortion industry tries to expand into other states, we really don't want them to because what comes with them is the trafficking industry and all the all the things people don't want to talk about. But the data is the data is in the data. You can see it in the data that it's it's active. It's there. And I really consider, um, you know, abortion facilities, abortion as a service for males before it's women's health. Wow. Well, Max, um, you as an organization has changed your messaging after realizing the validity of, of the statistics that you just stated. So what are you doing now? Sure. So predominantly when we work with the pregnancy center, we're obviously marketing towards uh, pregnant women who are considering abortion. But the people that can fall into that algorithm can often be men as well because they are researching abortion the same as as you would see a woman research them. So what we've what we've tried to do is when we can, um, we've we've tried to tailor ads specifically for men. So with women, it's a simple message: you might not need an abortion. Go to a pro life pregnancy center, get a, a an ultrasound to see if you even have a viable pregnancy. With men, it's a similar thing, but instead of it not being that, instead of it being that, hey, you might not need an abortion with men, we we try to deliver messages to them saying, hey, you might not need to pay for an abortion. And what we've seen is is uh, that tends to be the messaging that works since they're obviously not going to be the ones experiencing the abortion. Um, they don't want to, if they can, if they can avoid it, they don't want to have to pay for it. So um, that's the kind of messaging that we've leaned into and tried to deliver to these men abortion um decision makers, the people who are pressuring women into getting abortions. And we know that they are pressuring women, right? There was a study not too long ago that shows somewhere around 74% of women reported that they were pressured at least in some way into getting an abortion. Um, so we know that this pressure is happening. We know that men are the ones doing the pressuring. And it's not always men. A lot of times it is women too. It can be a mother figure in, in a woman's life. Um, but we know that they are doing the pressuring. So we're trying to, to, interrupt that user journey, that that pressure campaign, and to make them realize, hey, you might not even need to pay for this. And when you, and when you start bringing their wallets into this, we've seen pretty good success with that. Well, we're, we're thinking about the neighborhood, the neighbors around these abortion centers like Planned Parenthood. Do you think they have any idea what, what's going on, that there's human trafficking victims being aborted there? And how do you think they would take that? Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think they're aware of it. Um, as we talk to people, they become shocked at it, and we we tell them if you if you're not targeting the males in the abortion industry, you're missing the majority of the market because that's who the influencers are. But yeah, like we said before, um, if you have one of these facilities in your neighborhood, um, these are not good people who are driving these women to these appointments. They're not the dads. They're not the, they're not the fathers of the baby. Um, they have they have pressure and they have influence over these women. Um, we've, you know, we, we've seen even at the pregnancy center when we when we um, we asked them to to look in the parking lot when the abortion minded women come in and almost 90 percent of the time 
there's a male sitting in the uh, sitting in the car. So um, it's it's shocking. I really think as as abortion tries to push uh, into states and, and expand into states, the public really needs to know that this is really uh, this is really a, an industry that's set up to support trafficking and the sex industry before it's women's health. What is the obligation, though, from from the doctors or the the people at Planned Parenthood? I mean, you know, I, I know that they're selling abortions, but if a woman comes in, a lot of times a woman that's being trafficked, that might be their, their only escape, right? Is with medical yeah. care. I mean, are they saying anything? What what what's going on there? So that is for a woman escaping trafficking or trying to escape trafficking. Talking to a doctor is one of the best ways to escape. Because, I mean, just lots for lots of reasons. For one example is when it comes to courtrooms and legal proceedings, what someone says to a doctor tends to not be dismissed for hearsay reasons, right? So if a woman tells something to a doctor, that can be admissible in court because of that doctor-patient relationship. But what we see, and Live Action did an excellent undercover video on this, I, I I believe 2010, 2011, looking yeah. at Planned Parenthoods where they were going in and openly pretending to be child sex traffickers and the Planned Parenthood employees were helping them get these young girls, actors, abortions. And when Planned Parenthood was called out on it, they promised that they were going to give training to these workers so that they, this wouldn't happen again. But there were whistleblowers that came out afterwards that said those trainings were actually on how to how to discover undercover conservative journalists, not how to recognize sex traffic girls and pimps. So it, it's really pervasive in the abortion industry. And we know that they really don't have any intention on changing this. It's a huge profit center for them. Wow. Well, we can continue talking to you guys forever. But um, before we go, how, how can our audience get the word out about this? It seems like it's really not well known at all. Yeah, well, it's something you got to talk about, and it's uncomfortable to talk about, and people don't like to talk about it. We've seen Republicans not really like to talk about it. It's a very uncomfortable issue, but you have to talk about it. You have to make sure that um, this is front and center, and and don't let them they, – they thrive on that anonymity, right? I mean, they, they want this to be just under the surface. So you got to talk about it, and uh, and you got to make sure that you spread this kind of information. All right. Well, thank you both so much for joining us and sharing this mind-boggling information. And we hope you'll come back as you keep uncovering more, more things that we need to know. Sure. Good to see sure. you. Good to see you, too. Thanks. Thank you. And please be sure to tune in next week when we have a guest who is a survivor of human trafficking. A pro-life activist in Michigan is continuing to recover from injuries he received when an 88-year-old abortionist ran him over. Mark Zimmerman was at his regular post outside the Women's Center of Saginaw when abortionist Theodore Rommel ran over his leg in the driveway of the abortion business. Then Rommel reversed and ran over him again. We have Mark with us tonight to tell us about the frightening incident. Welcome, Mark. Yes, good afternoon. Uh, Mark, glad to be here. Oh, we're so glad you're here. But before you talk about the uh, the abortionist assaulting you, tell us about your pro-life activism. How did you get involved? Well, I have been involved off and on for almost 30, over 30 years. Um, I had a friend that invited me to come out and just come out and pray. And don't, he said, you don't, don't even have to say anything. 
you can just come out and pray. And so I did. And now I try and reach out and speak to the moms and dads that come out. Wow. Well, that's, that's great. So now, can you take us through last week's incident with Rommel? Okay. Um, well, it was last Friday, and I'm normally there a couple days a week, and so usually on a Friday, just come out and put up our signs and try and reach out to moms that come for their scheduled abortion that day. And there's only one entrance to the clinic, including the driveway. And so um, we, um, we usually just um, walk back and forth and try not to um, try and stay out of the way of cars that are coming in. And um, try and hand out our gift bags with information. And, and then about 10, 10, 15, I was on one side and about five other Christians were on the other side of the driveway. And I turned to them and we've been there enough. We know what kind of car that Theodore Mel drives. And um, I stated something to the fact of, oh, look, here he comes, just warning people that he's coming. And so I tried to walk across the driveway to the other side with the rest of the folks. And I stopped for a second to look and look to the right to see where he was. And he come around the corner and drove into the parking lot and didn't even stop. And he went over, knocked me down a little bit, ran over my leg with his tire and then went in reverse off my leg. Wow. And, and then, yeah, and then they immediately, friends immediately called 911. And did he get out of the car? Did he say anything to you, to you, come over to you, anything? Um, well, he um, drove around me and... <laughs> he drove around you while you were on the ground? While I was on the ground, he went around me to park his car. <laughs> and by that time, the police were there. Unbelievable. And then he come over to where I was on the ground and was yelling at the police, well, They've done this before. They've run in front of me and tried to block me and when we haven't, but, and then by that time, the police were trying to ask me questions and find out what's going on. And then a few minutes after the police came, the ambulance came and by that time I was in the ambulance. Do you expect that they're going to arrest him? Um, well, I hope, my hope is that they arrest him. But that particular day, last Friday, he was able to, um, from what I understand, finish out his day by performing five abortions. 
Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, what, what kind of interactions have you had um, with him in the past? Um, well, we have been calling out to him to uh, come to repentance for his, for his deeds. Um, but that's pretty much the only interactions we've had. We've seen him come and go and he doesn't really say much to us when we're out there. Mark, what are the, the extent of your injuries? Well, I have a fractured tibia, pretty much um, a broken ankle. And I'm scheduled for outpatient surgery tomorrow. All right, well, we will definitely be praying for you. And I understand that your friends have set up a Give, Send, Go campaign to help you with your medical expenses. Yes, they have. So it's, uh, people want to donate, just go to givesendgo.com and look for Mark Zimmerman, Z-I-M-M-E-R-M-A-N. And we just want to thank you so much for joining us tonight. And we hope you have lots of success with the, with the surgery and get a full recovery. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Mark. We'll be praying for you. Okay. Appreciate Thanks. it. Thank you. This is not the first time Rumel has assaulted a pro-lifer with his car. In 2012, Lynn Mills of Pro-Life Michigan was outside an abortion mill in Livonia when Ramel got into his Chevy pickup truck and opened the door so that it would hit her on his way past. Ramel was arrested for that assault and was given six months probation. This is the latest attack on pro-lifers that we know of. Baltimore police have yet to arrest the man who brutally assaulted two senior citizen pro-lifers outside Planned Parenthood in May. And when I was talking to Lynn Mills about Ramel, she told me about an elderly pro-lifer in Grand Rapids, Michigan, who was pushed to the ground by a pro-abortion woman outside an abortion mill. He hit his head and was taken by ambulance to the hospital. No arrest was ever made in that case. Wednesday is the deadline for Ohio abortion advocates to submit signatures in support of placing an abortion amendment on the ballot in November. The amendment would repeal every pro-life law in the state and eliminate gestational limits on abortion. The effort requires 414,000 valid signatures. Pro-lifers in the state, meanwhile, are busy preparing voters for an August 8th special election whose outcome could, come to, could directly impact the November ballot initiative. Voters will be asked if the percentage of votes needed to amend the Constitution should be increased to 60% from the current requirement of 50% plus one vote. Supporters say the change is necessary to prevent out-of-state pro-abortion groups from bankrolling the November initiative. A federal judge on Wednesday said she would not block a North Carolina law that protects babies from abortion after 12 weeks. A challenge, brought, a challenge to the law brought by Planned Parenthood seems even less likely to succeed after legislators this week approved changes to the law that address many of the objections mentioned in the lawsuit. The revisions are awaiting a signature or veto from pro-abortion Governor Roy Cooper, but even if he does veto the bill, the Republicans have a veto-proof supermajority in both houses. Maine is on the way to eliminating all restrictions on abortion after the House and Senate both passed a bill that would allow abortion through all nine months of pregnancy. Despite campaigning on a promise to leave abortion law as is, Governor Janet Mills introduced the bill and will sign it. Maine journalist Stephen Robinson said the bill is a major priority for Planned Parenthood, which spent $830,000 in the 22 elect 2022 elections to support Mills and Democrats in the state legislature. 
The South Carolina Supreme Court heard arguments this week in Planned Parenthood's challenge to the state's heartbeat law. And according to Reuters, Reuters News Service, the justices seem open to allowing the law to be enacted. The court in January struck down an earlier heartbeat law, but the attorney for the state said in court this week that the new law emphasizes that women's choices include the ability to choose birth control and to test early for pregnancy. Justice John Few, who had voted against the earlier law, seemed open to that argument. I think it's a valid notion, he said, that the state, as part of its policy judgment, can say, we want you to start thinking about your choices early. South Carolina currently allows abortion through 22 weeks. New Mexico really wants women to abort their babies there. Abortion-loving Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham announced the establishment of a new hotline for women looking for abortion sellers. Registered nurses from the State Department, the State Health Department will staff the hotline, which will be paid for with state tax funds. Florida, Illinois, North Carolina, Colorado, and California have been described as surge states as the number of abortions performed skyrockets in those areas. The hashtag WeCount project was developed to keep track of abortions in states where it is still legal after the fall of Roe v. Wade, and its leaders say the biggest increases are in states adjacent, adjacent to those that have banned abortion. Florida's northern neighbor, Georgia, has a heartbeat law in effect, and to the northwest, Alabama has a near total ban in effect. Florida has passed a heartbeat bill, but it has not yet been enacted. And finally, Father Fidelis Majinski, a member of the Red Rose Rescue, was sentenced to six months in prison for blocking the entrance to a Long Island Planned Parenthood killing center last year. According to court testimony, during the one-man rescue action, Father Fidelis placed multiple locks on the gate leading into the only entrance of the facility. Once the locks were cut off by the local fire department, Father Fidelis lay physically lay in the driveway, obstructing cars before being taken into custody by local police. Red Rose Rescues involve pro-life advocates peacefully entering an abortion facility and offering information and encouragement to the women inside. Some pro-life advocates refuse to leave the facility until forced to do so by law enforcement. They believe that by refusing to leave, they are acting in solidarity with the unborn babies who are scheduled to be killed by abortionists. And that's Abortion in the News. The Supreme Court on Monday dismissed Louisiana's appeal seeking to prevent the state's congressional map from being redrawn over claims that it unlawfully dilutes the influence of black voters. The move via a brief unsigned order was expected after the Supreme Court's ruling on June 8th that buttressed a key part of the landmark Voting Rights Act in a similar case concerning congressional districts in Alabama. The court order noted that the case should be resolved in lower courts in advance of the 2024 congressional elections in Louisiana. The case will now move forward in the New Orleans-based 5th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals. Former President Donald Trump has not indicated if he plans to participate in the first GOP primary debate in August, raising questions about whether the former president plans to watch from afar or attract the spotlight elsewhere. Trump has repeatedly hinted he won't participate in the primary debates, often pointing to his substantial lead in the polls to argue his presence would be unnecessary. The former president has even suggested options for counter-programming to compete with the first debate, according to NBC. Trump's absence on the debate stage could negatively affect the Republican National Committee, as well as Fox News ratings, as it would deprive the event of the party's most prominent figure. As a result, several advisors and close allies have been pushing the former president to agree to debate. Trump has not made a final decision on the matter, and a spokesperson for the former president did not respond to a request for comment by the Washington Examiner. 
Meanwhile, the former president lashed out against Fox News, which is set to moderate the debate for its lack of coverage of his campaign events. Trump accused the outlet of ignoring his speeches while still relying on his debate participation to increase ratings. So Fox News, which is down 37% in the ratings, doesn't cover my Getting the Man of the Decade award because of my great trade policies in Michigan or my keynote speech for Faith and Freedom in D.C., and then wants me to show up and get them ratings for their presidential debate, where I'm leading the field by 40 points, Trump said in a Truth Social post. Sorry, Fox News, life doesn't work that way. Trump could also be hesitant to join the stage due to requirements issued by the RNC to qualify for primary debates, including one stipulation to pledge support for the party's eventual presidential nominee. Trump has dodged questions about whether he would do so, again pointing to his front-runner status in the polls. However, that could also be a detriment to Governor Ron DeSantis, who would become the target of attacks in an attempt to knock him from his runner-up status. The first scheduled primary debate is on August 23rd in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. The event will be moderated by Fox News hosts Brett Baer and Martha McCollum. Former President Donald Trump is leveraging his connections to loyalists in key primary states to lobby for voting rules and dates that could cement his front-runner status in the race for the 2024 Republican presidential nomination, his team and sources in several states told Reuters. Trump's campaign is reaching out to Republican state parties to push for the changes as party officials set the parameters for contests that kick off early next year ahead of the November 5, 2024 presidential election. Several states adopted Trump-friendly rules in 2020 to ward off competition for the then-president, and a recent change in Michigan appears to have bolstered his advantage in the race to secure delegates who determine the party's nominee. Now the Trump campaign is advocating for modifications in half a dozen additional states, his co-campaign manager told Reuters. We work with state parties all over the country to engage in the process, Chris Lasavita said in a news interview. The challenge that we were given by the president was to win every day and win every battle. This is just part of that. While it is known that Trump's team is trying to exert influence over the Republican machinery, in important voting states ahead of 2024, the scale of the effort has not been previously reported. Holding earlier votes in certain pro-Trump states could give the former president momentum over his Republican rivals. Holding caucuses instead of primaries could also give more weight to grassroots activists loyal to him, political analysts have said. Trump is not alone in trying to shape the 2024 battlefield in his favor. The Democratic National Committee in February approved President Joe Biden's shakeup of the party's 2024 primary calendar, giving black voters a greater say in the nominating process and carving an easier path for Biden. The Democrats' changes boosted the roles for South Carolina and Georgia, among other states, and demoted the famed Iowa caucuses. The 2024 election has been seen as a three-person race between Trump, Biden and Florida Governor Ron DeSantis for months. The battling odds have favored these three candidates to become the next president of the United States. A new poll from Morning Consult, which tracked Republican voters, showed Trump having a 38-point lead over DeSantis and 57% support among GOP voters. 
Biden has maintained an edge over both contenders for several months, although Trump has been narrowing the gap in recent weeks. The most recent poll indicates a shift, with Trump now surpassing Biden in support. When asked who they would vote for in a hypothetical rematch of the 2020 presidential election, Trump received 44 percent of the vote, compared to 41 percent for Biden. This marks the first instance of a Trump overtaking Biden in his poll since tracking began in December. In the matchup between Biden and DeSantis, Biden came out on top, getting 42 percent of the vote versus the 40 percent for the Florida governor. And that's political news in a nutshell. Independence Day is a federal holiday in the United States commemorating the Declaration of Independence, which was ratified by the Second Continental Congress on July 4th, 1776, establishing the United States of America. Leslie and I wish you all a wonderful Independence Day celebration. Here is a message from our national director, pro-life leader, Frank Pavone. Well, hi, friends, and thanks for watching our news show. You know, as you do so, you realize that freedom is under attack. And July 4th is all about the celebration of freedom. Our founders made a declaration of independence from tyranny and dependence upon God. And that's the only way we can be free. And yet we know from the news that tyranny in America is reasserting itself in so many different ways. That's why the celebration of Independence Day involves a recommitment on the part of us all to work for, defend freedom, teach our children the meaning of freedom. And we get the inspiration to do that from the Word of God and also from the fact that our national anthem refers to the sacrifices made to defend that freedom and asks a question. Oh, say does that star-spangled banner yet wave or the land of the free and the home of the brave? It's a question. It's a question that contains a summons and a challenge. It's a question asking us whether we, today, are making the same sacrifices as our founders made and were willing to make, even to the point of giving their lives, sacrificing their reputations, their possessions. Are we sacrificing today for that same freedom? And may the Lord grant that the answer to that question will always be yes. That star-spangled banner does still wave, or the land of the free and the home of the brave, because we, inspired by the Spirit of God and guided by His Word, and united with one another, are defending that gift of freedom, which says that no human being can rule over another, and that everyone, born and unborn, must have under the law the freedom to live, to grow, and to prosper. Happy Independence Day. God bless you. You're invited on a pro-life pilgrimage from October 2nd through the 8th, 2023, to Mexico City and the Basilica of Our Lady of Guadalupe, led by Executive Director Janet Marana and our pastoral associate, Father David Begany, along with Deacon Harold Burke-Sivers and Ellen Holmes-Steves LeBlanc, co-hosts of the Prodigal Life podcast. This is a place of profound significance for the pro-life movement. Please watch this video, which will give you an idea of what you will experience on the pilgrimage. For Catholic pro-life people throughout the world, Our Lady of Guadalupe is honored as the patroness of the unborn and of the pro-life movement. She experienced an unplanned pregnancy. She chose life. 
This October 2nd to 8th, you have an opportunity to go to the location where Our Lady appeared to St. Juan Diego. You'll be able to see the actual tilma of Juan Diego on which Our Lady left her miraculous image, and thanks to which the practice of human sacrifice was ended among the Aztecs and millions came to Christ. Priest for Life Executive Director Janet Morana and Pastoral Associate Father David Begany will be among the presenters, as will Deacon Harold Burke Seavers. The pilgrimage will take you to astonishingly beautiful churches and special places like Puebla. Aside from the spiritual refreshment and peace a trip like this brings amidst the insanity of this culture of death, the biggest benefit of joining this pilgrimage is that you'll be with like-minded people from morning to night. This will reinforce your already strong commitment to Christ and to the unborn and forge relationships that will last a lifetime. Sign up at ProLifePilgrimage.com. We hope you'll join us. Thank you so much for joining us on Pro-Life Primetime News, produced at Priest for Life headquarters in Titusville, Florida. We hope you will tune in every Friday at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. If you like our show, please support us by making a donation to ProLifeGift.org. These donations help fund all of our work here at Priest for Life, which enables us to continue educating, equipping, and activating God's people to end abortion. I'm Teresa Watson, Executive Manager. I'm Leslie Palma, Communications Director. Remember, life is the only choice.